Go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 20, book of Genesis, and we'll pray and we'll get started. Okay, we'll get a little serious gear. Father God, we just thank you for this time together, Lord. We just thank you for your word. Thank you for, God, just all the lessons you have for us, boy, just the manual for us to live our lives by. You know, it's, it's how we get to know you, Lord, as we just spend time in your word and we just pray that you would teach us now. Teach us from Genesis chapter 20, Lord. Teach us, you know, what it is you want us to know about this chapter, about these things. Lord, show us how these things apply in a real way to our life. Lord, and, and God, we pray that you would just do an eternal work right now. Bless us, Lord. Bless us in the time that we spend in your word, Lord. Let us not um, finish our study without knowing we've met with you today, Lord. So I just ask these things in your name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 20. Here in Genesis chapter 20, what we're going to see is Abraham. You know what? He's going to revert back to some of his old ways. Now, as a Bible teacher, you know, I'm, I never want to be too hard on the men and women in Scripture. Um, you know, uh, especially when we see their failure. I never want to be too hard on them because uh, I think that I'm going to see some of these guys maybe in heaven and they're going to ask me, hey, remember that Bible study you taught? I mean, like, why'd you have to be so mean? I was doing the best I could do, okay? And I just want to show some grace. Um, I never want to be too hard, but I want to show some grace when, they, when uh, we go through these things, when we see Abraham's failures. I don't want to be too hard on them because, you know what, we all fail. We all struggle. We're all just being perfected as we walk with the Lord. Um, but God puts these stories before us so we can learn from them. You know, I just, I, I thank God that he never says to any one of us, you know, man, I'm so tired of you failing. When are you going to connect the dots and get things right? You know, uh, I'm done with you. I'm just going to wash my hands with you. I'm just, I'm just, it's over. And I'm just so thankful that God never says that to us when we fail. And we actually learn that from people's lives like Abraham, how he gets put in a situation or how he deals with a situation and he fails. But God sees him through that situation. And, and so it's encouraging I don't want to, um, like I say, be too hard on them. I want to glean from it what God has me to glean from it. And I also want to recognize, you know what? I'm, I'm the same. We all fail. We all struggle. You know, God puts Abraham before us in his word, in his humanity. He puts him before us in his frailty. You know, Abraham, in the situation we're going to look at in this chapter, he's afraid in that current situation. But we're going to be able to see how God protects and, and um, meets Abraham, even though he's failing in his faith, even though he's faltering in his faith. God's going to meet him and take care of him. Each of us, I think, we can relate to Abraham in this chapter. How many times when you've been faced with a circumstance where you're afraid, right? Not sure what to do. How many times have you been tempted to tell maybe a half-truth or maybe an outright lie? 
I mean, it's not an excuse for that type of behavior. God is not pleased with that type of behavior and God cannot bless a lie. But the Lord records this failure of Abraham uh, in his life and he uses it to give us confidence and comfort that when we stumble and fall and when we struggle with our faith, that he's not going to cast us off. And that's, that's the message that we need to, that's one of the messages that we need to walk away with tonight. We need to grab hold of that and just walk away with that. We see God's not ashamed to associate himself with people that are not yet perfected. Now, in this story, again, just a little background, Abraham, he's 100 years old. And he finds himself in a situation he doesn't want to be in. And he's going to try actually to take the easy way out. You know, if we will fear the Lord, we will fear nothing else. That's true, isn't it? If we will fear the Lord, we will fear nothing else. If we com will commit to standing fast in our faith um, when we face difficult situations, if we'll trust the Lord with all of our hearts and he's going to sustain us and he's going to provide for us and he's going to protect us in this situation. Had Abraham had done that in this situation, he wouldn't have fallen in this way. If we'll do that, you know what? We'll never fall into past sins. So Genesis 20 verse 1 says, And Abraham journeyed from the uh, there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Abraham is headed south towards Egypt. And again, Egypt is always a type of the world in the Bible. Abraham knows that there's going to be problems down there as he's heading south. And that's why he's made this arrangement with Sarah to just um, say that she's his sister. You know, and it's a crazy thing. Abraham, he sees trouble coming his way. And what does he do? He just walks right into it. Proverbs 22, 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Abraham sees trouble ahead, and he still walks right into the middle of it instead of turning around and looking to the Lord and seeking God's heart for the situation. Nothing good is going to come from heading back to the world. The world has nothing to offer us of any value as believers. So why is Abraham going back towards Egypt? Well, we're, we don't know. We're not told, right? Maybe it's because he doesn't want to live near Sodom and Gomorrah anymore. You know, maybe, you know, there's just too many painful memories of the judgment that came there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he doesn't know where Lot is. Maybe that's what's going on. But we don't actually know why he's headed south. Uh, we're not told. It's just something that he seems to decide he's going to do. He's going to pack things up, head south. Now, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Man, it sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it, huh? Sounds a lot like Genesis 12, right? Well, the, the same thing occurred 25 years ago when Abram went down to Egypt because of the famine. And like I said, Genesis 12, you can look at it. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, 
Abraham's afraid, needlessly, but afraid nonetheless. Uh, because of this, he reverts to this lie. He has no reason to fear. God's given him a promise that he's going to become a great nation. So God is going to protect him. And Abraham, I mean, he can't die because God's given him a promise and God's going to fulfill that promise in Abraham's life. How does that relate to us? Well, fear is unable to stand before the face of God when we trust and believe in his promises. If we fail to give the proper consideration to God and his promises, you know what's going to happen is we're going to revert to fear in every given situation, right? Our culture, at least at one time, would say, with age comes wisdom. But that's not necessarily the case. Proverbs 9, 10, it's one of my favorite Proverbs of all time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Man, it's not age that brings wisdom into our life. What brings wisdom into our life is fearing the Lord. And it continues, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Unless our lives are yielded to the Spirit of God, we're going to repeat the sins of our youth. And there's no two ways about it. That's just the way it's going to happen. If we want to avoid past failures, what we need to be doing is we need to be living and trusting in the Lord, living for the Lord, trusting in the Lord, standing fast on his promises, you know, presently in our life. We need to be doing that daily in our life. Now, Abraham's in this area of what we call today, you know, the Gaza Strip. He's down there near the border of Egypt. And while he's down there, he runs into this king called Abimelech. Abimelech is not his name. Abimelech is his title. And it's a crazy thing to think about, right? Sarah is 90 years old right now. And I doubt that Abimelech has a lot of 90-year-old uh, geriatric females in his uh, harem, right? They're probably a bunch of 20-year-olds, whatever. Sarah, apparently, I mean, she's a looker. She's good looking. She's probably pregnant also at this point. This is, you know, just shortly after the, the previous chapter. And God has done seemingly this amazing work of rejuvenation and regeneration in Sarah's life. God has restored her youth, it would appear, in order for her to conceive and actually bear a son. And in the next chapter, we're going to read that she nurses that son at age 90. God has done this amazing work, and it speaks to me of God's work of regeneration in our lives. You know, when we give our hearts to the Lord, there's this total regeneration that occurs, uh, restoration that occurs in our life spiritually. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In the middle of what God is doing in Abraham and Sarah's life, now, Abraham gets scared. He gets scared that he's going to be killed on account of uh, Sarah. This is just, a, you know, what, whatever the source of this fear is, whether it's just his flesh or it's demonic, he's afraid. And Abraham, he's the father of faith. 
And yet he has this weakness in his character. That weakness is he tends towards fear. He gets afraid and he reverts to old habits. We need to take care to carefully identify you know, weaknesses in our lives. And then we need to avoid getting into those situations so we don't act upon those weaknesses. You know, if I have a trouble, uh, if I have a problem with maybe alcohol, I shouldn't go to the bars to get a, a sandwich at lunchtime. If I have a hard time, you know, with credit card debt, I shouldn't be filling out the Capital One application that came in the mail yesterday. We need to be wise as not to be placed needlessly in a place where a situation is going to present itself that's going to cause us to stumble. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she's a, a man's wife. You know, if there's one thing I don't want to hear from the Lord in the middle of the night, is I don't want to hear him saying to me, You know, I'm talking to a dead man right now. You know that? I'm sure God immediately got Abimelech's um, attention with this cheerful greeting. I'm talking to a dead man. I don't know. But isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that God would speak supernaturally through a dream to Abimelech, right? God probably would have liked to have sent a prophet to Abimelech, but he only has one prophet right now, and that one prophet seems to be the problem, right? So again, we see God, he's going to great lengths to protect his promise to Abraham, you know, the promise of the Messiah coming through his lineage into the world. Suppose Abimelech had um, taken Sarah and, and, you know, had sexual relationship with her. It would have ruined the promise of the son through which the Messiah would come through. It would have created a continual doubt in everyone's mind whether or not Jesus the Messiah was a descendant of Abraham. So God is protecting his promise here to Abraham. And this is encouraging to me. This is a reminder to us that he will honor his promises to us. And he'll go to great extents to make sure that those promises come to pass in our lives. Even though Abraham failed to trust God, God didn't abandon Abraham. And again, it's so comforting to me. God, did, God was not about to let Abimelech um, take Sarah. He's not going to let that happen. He's going to protect her because of his promise. She's going to bring forth a son that he promised her, fulfilling his promise to her. Also, we want to notice real quick God's views regarding adultery. You know, they, they might be a little bit differently than what, the way we view adultery in our society today, but it's not a fling. You know, it's not a thing. It's not a phase. It's not an affair. It's sin. And God, he does not approve of that sin. There are serious consequences for engaging in the sin of adultery. And I don't know who's listening right now, but I just want to speak from my heart. If you're toying with the idea of, of uh, an affair, if you're looking at another man's wife with lustful thoughts in your heart, if you're looking at another woman's husband with lustful thoughts in your heart, 
God's not going to hold you guiltless, right? It's a sin. My advice to you is you just run from it. Turn to God. Confess that as a sin and be restored to him. Be brought back into a right relationship with him. Verse 4, it says, But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? It sounds like um, exactly what Abraham said, isn't, doesn't it? When he was uh, talking to the Lord in regards to the righteous in Sodom. You're going to slay a righteous nation also? I wonder, did Abimelech hear about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Or uh, has he just heard that Jehovah, the God of Abraham, is a righteous God? I mean, what's, what's driving this uh, idea uh, in Bimelech's heart? I don't know. It seems like Abimelech has some understanding uh, of a God who judges. He must be righteous so that he can judge righteously. So he appeals to God's righteousness. Verse 5, Bimelech speaking again, Did he not say to me, she's my sister, and even she... Even she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Abimelech, he, he says, you know, I, I acted upon what they told me. Had I known the, what was right, you know, or what was true, I wouldn't have done this. And God's reply to him, he says to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I love this about the Lord. He protects us even when we're not aware of his protection. I mean, I think the thing we learn here is that when our hearts are right before the Lord, he's going to keep us from sin and temptation. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us the model prayer. He says, in this manner, pray, uh, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. I believe Abimelech is an example of what God's talking about in that model prayer about delivering us and not leading us into temptation. Keep us from where sin and opportunity crosses. You know, it's an example of God delivering someone uh, from evil here, I believe. God restrained Abimelech in a way that didn't violate his will, but at the same time kept him from committing a sin against God. Again, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 21.1, which says, The king's heart is in the, the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants. If God is able and if God is willing to keep a pagan king who's walking in his integrity, if he's able and willing to keep that pagan king walking in his integrity from sinning against him, how much more will he keep us, you know, those of us that have a surrendered heart to him, how much more is he willing to keep us from sinning against him? You know what? 
I hate sin. Tell you the truth. I hate sin. I hate the guilt that comes from sin. I hate the feeling of breaking the heart of my loving Heavenly Father. I hate the condemnation that the devil brings when he says to me, you know, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were better than that. We never have to experience that. If we'll walk with the Lord in integrity and a humbleness of heart, if we will walk with him and surrender, he'll keep us from the sins as we are, give ourselves over to him totally. James 1.24 says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Paul encourages Timothy here, and he's encouraging us too, and he's saying, you know, Timothy, I'm completely, totally convinced that God is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him. And that thing that I've entrusted in Timothy is my heart, my life. God is able to keep it. And Paul is saying, you know, he'll keep you too if you'll do the same thing. Verse 7, Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he'll pray for you and you shall live. But I say, uh, but if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Again, this is the last thing I want to hear from the Lord, right? You know, especially with Sodom and Gomorrah smoldering over there in the distance, you know, that God's going to say, hey, man, if you don't do this, you're going to die. I promise you. Yeah. Anyway, this is the first time we see uh, the word prophet in the Bible. And I find Abraham being referred to as a prophet very instructive to me. The first work of a prophet is prayer. A prophet represents God to the people. And a prophet is one who spends time alone with the Lord, getting to know his heart. And Abraham is called the friend of God. So it would seem that Abraham, it's a regular practice of his, of just spending time with the Lord. Again, Abraham was an altar builder. He was a worshiper of God. And he also took time to just be in a quiet place with the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14, Paul responds to uh, the Corinthian church uh, questions that they had asked him about spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says to the believers in the church, he says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And that excellent way is 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. Love is the better way. Love is the best way. But then Paul continues his talk about spiritual gifts in chapter 14. And in 14 verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Paul says, pursue love. Now to me, when I see pursue, what does it mean? I don't know. I think of a police car. Sirens are going. Its lights are on. It's in hot pursuit. Get out of my way because there's something that I'm after. And he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And he goes on in verse three, he says, 
He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now, I really believe with all my heart, the more time you spend with the Lord, the more time you spend with the Lord getting to know him and his heart, the more he's going to use you to speak edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He'll use you to prophesy. He'll use you to speak his words of encouragement into the life of a brother or of a sister. He'll use you to exhort others to action for his glory. And he'll use you to bring comfort to the brokenhearted. Man, I mean, don't, isn't, that, isn't that a wonderful ministry? Doesn't your heart just long for that? If you desire to be used by God to speak his heart into the lives of others, then you know what? Spend time with the Lord. Just get away with the Lord on a regular basis. Get to know him better. Let him speak to your heart so that you can convey his words of love and encouragement to others. I mean, yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a few other things we need to see here too. First, prophets, they're just men, right? They're just men. They're subject to human frailties and human weaknesses, just like we are. We can never get our eyes on a man. Never get our eyes on our man. If we do that, you know what's going to happen? They're going to let us down. You know, one thing I can promise you, if you get your eyes on me, somehow you think that I have it all together because I'm a pastor, I promise you, I'm going to let you down. You're going to be disappointed. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus and him alone because he's the only one that's never going to let us down. Secondly, no one is able to reject God, you know, to reject who he is. He's the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. No one is able to reject his word based on a poor witness of his vessel. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Is it's not a legitimate excuse to say, hey, you know what, Gary Barrow, man, that guy, he was a knucklehead. He, you know, he, he wasn't walking the way a Christian should walk. That's not a, a plausible excuse. Abraham's a prophet. And maybe he's, you know, not much of a prophet. But God has called him to be a prophet. And we need to learn to look past the servant of the Lord and their shortcomings and look to the Savior and his perfect gift for our sins, his perfect sacrifice for our sins. Again, it's a beautiful reminder of God's love and grace towards us. God didn't abandon Abraham even though Abraham didn't trust God the way he should have. Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. His love for us is not based on our performance, what we do. God receives us as his children because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's through our faith in his substitutionary sacrifice upon the cross where he took our sins and imputed his righteousness to us. It's his shed blood that cleanses us from our sins and brings us into that right relationship with the Father. 
It begins with grace. It ends with grace. And it's all about grace in between. Verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning. He's, he's obedient, you know. Have you ever had one of those nights where the Lord spoke to you and afterwards you're not able to go back to sleep? You know, I have had one, uh, <laughs> I had one yesterday. Last night, God wakes me up 4.30 in the morning and you know what? Man, it's just situations on my heart that he has me praying about. Um, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told them these things in their hearing and the men were very much afraid. God has all of Abimelech's servants and all of his men, they're all there gathered together and God has their undivided attention. And if you check out what the other uh, translations say, it's, uh, you know, King James says, they were sore afraid. The NIV says, they were very much afraid. And the New Living Translation says, they were terrified. Verse 9, And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you've brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You've done deeds to me that ought not to be done. I mean, it's a sad thing to see a pagan king acting in integrity while Abraham, this man of God, this fibbing prophet, you know, the father of faith acting shamefully. And that's basically what Abraham, uh, Abimelech is telling Abraham right now. You know, the, the, this is the second time Abraham receives a stinging rebuke from a pagan king. And Abimelech is saying, you know, you're supposed to be a prophet of God and you lied to me, right? What did, what did I do to you that you would do such a thing to me? How could you think that this was okay? This is actually a great sin. And Abimelech just delivers this rebuke. What was the great sin that Abimelech is mentioning here to, or at least what he's referring to? Lying to Abimelech set the table, set the, the, the circumstances into play that he potentially could have taken Sarah and committed adultery with her. The great sin that Abimelech is referring to, again, it's adultery. That's how God sees adultery. He sees it as a great sin. It's not something that we should be trifling with. You know, it's not something that we should be mulling over in our minds. You know, thoughts of adultery. Solomon pleads with his sons to listen to him. Proverbs 7, 24 through 27. He just pleads with his sons. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. And the ways that he's speaking about is a, he's speaking about the ways of an adulterous woman. Do not stray into her path, he continues, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Hey, don't think, you know what, I can handle it. If you think you can handle flirting with an adulterous woman or flirting with a man that is just coming on to you, knowing that you have a husband, if you think that you can handle it, you know what? 
you're going to get burned. You're going to get burned. Solomon say, if you think you can handle it, you're a fool, right? She's taken down stronger men than you is what Solomon says here. And he continues, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And again, I don't know who's listening today, but I believe the Lord would speak to you if you're playing around with ideas or if you're engaged in the act of adultery, the Lord would speak to you, stop it, stop it. Why would you insist in continuing in a way that will destroy you and destroy everybody that's ever loved you or you've ever loved? It's a great sin in God's eyes and he will not allow it to go unpunished. Verse 10, then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view when you've done this thing? I mean, what, what were you thinking of Abraham? You know, what did you have in view, Abraham? Well, he didn't have the Lord in view, did he? he if he had his, his eyes on the Lord, he never would have lied. He never would have failed to trust in the Lord. And Abimelech says, what were you thinking of when you did that? Have you ever said that to your kids? You know, what were you thinking of? Have you ever said that to your kids? What was their response? Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, we can be tempted here to say, what, is that it? That's all that Abraham gets? He gets this little bit, he gets a little bit of a rebuke from Abimelech. I mean, is there no more consequence to lying about his wife and selling her off into another man's harem, if there's no greater consequence than just a little bit of a rebuke, a little bit of a talking to, then maybe lying is not a bad option in any given situation. But Abraham doesn't get away with lying. That would be a mistake to think that. The rebuke is not just from a pagan king. The result of lying is not just a little bit of embarrassment that Abraham has to endure. Abraham is being rebuked by God here. The, the rebuke and correction is coming from the Lord. God is allowing Abimelech to publicly confront Abraham with his foolishness and his sinful actions. And Abraham is going to come away with some lame excuses here. I mean, he's going to start pouring out these lame excuses. And everyone who's listening, Abimelech, all of his servants are listening. All of Abraham and Sarah's servants are listening. And they all understand that Abraham is wrong in his actions. In terms of God's chastening in the life of his servants, when they failed, it doesn't mean that they go unpunished when we don't see some terrible consequence uh, coming uh, out of the situation. Abraham's a friend of God. For Abraham, this rebuke from God will, will be so terribly hard on him. And it will cause him to look back over his life and say, what was I thinking? I'll never do that again. He doesn't get away with anything. This is a huge blow to Abraham. I'm certain of it. And God dealt with Abraham in his tenderness. And God is extremely effective 
in, uh, in his correction towards his children. But you know what? He deals with us with tenderness. He deals with us appropriately. Whether you see it or not, he'll deal with his children. It's not sometimes always for us to see. God doesn't publicly embarrass his children all the time, doesn't call them out in public. And I, I believe, you know what, in this moment right now, Abraham would have probably rather been killed on the spot than to hear that God was displeased with him. That's the heart that Abraham has, and God knows how to deal with his people. God knows how to deal with you and I when we mess up because God knows and loves us like nobody else will ever know or love us. Verse 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is in this place that they'll kill me on account of my wife. And you know what? I'm just like, come on, Abraham. <laughs> you know what? You weren't fearing the Lord when you got into this situation. You weren't trusting him. You know, don't you remember Abraham saying to God, surely you're not going to slay the righteous with the wicked, are you, Lord? You know, God made all these promises to you, Abraham, and now you think that God's just going to desert you, just leave you high and dry? Abraham fails to believe the Lord after all he's done for him. I mean, can you believe it? I can I can believe it because it's exactly what I do. It's probably exactly what you do too. We're, we're all in the same boat. After all these promises that God has made towards us, you know what? We worry sometimes about things when they don't seem to go our way. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Romans 8.32 God says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God the Father has given us his son that we might be saved. But then we worry that he's not going to provide for our daily needs. I mean, it's kind of silly, isn't it? And Abraham is doing exactly what we so often do ourselves. Now, Abraham continues to do what we do when we're caught in a compromising situation. He seeks to justify himself, verse 12. But indeed, truly, uh, indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. I mean, it's almost like Abraham saying, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, right? I mean, she's the daughter of my father. And then somehow she became my wife. I mean, I'm not even really sure how that happened either. And, you know, you can just hear this conversation. And I can hear Abimelech saying, okay, so she's your half-sister. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, she's my half-sister. That's it. So what does that make her now just your half-wife? You know, Abraham is engaging these half-lies, half-truths. But the problem with a half-truth is it's a whole lie. And, you know, there's no such thing as a half-truth, especially for us as believers. And we should never think that God is okay with us speaking in half-truths. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to be truthful because we're his representatives. It's never okay with him. He never excuses it. 
Verse 13, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander, Abraham says, from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he's my brother. Abraham is actually indirectly blaming God here, right? I mean, he, it's shades of Adam, isn't it? It's shades of Adam, like it's not my fault. You know, it's the woman's fault. Hey, it's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault, right? No, Abraham is saying, God sent me out on this dangerous journey and because of my concern for our safety, you know, I had to protect myself. The journey that Abraham is referring to here, you know, started years ago when he left Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham, at least though, he, he takes responsibility for his actions. He says, this has nothing to do with Sarah. I put her up to it. It was all me. I did it. It was my idea. Now, I don't think that Abraham lied about Sarah. This is my thoughts. I don't think he lied about Sarah just twice. He didn't lie once to Pharaoh, and he didn't lie a second time here at Abimelech because Abraham says to Sarah, in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he's my brother. It seems to me that he's confessing that this is just a regular habit of his. It's a regular practice that they've engaged in. Abraham got in this bad habit of taking matters into his own hands. And now he can't get away from it. Again, it's just a weakness in his life. If we fail in trusting the Lord in every situation of life, you know what? Our actions are going to become a habit. And the sad thing is those habits, those sins, then are reproduced in our children. And this is what we're going to see Isaac do. Isaac's going to actually lie about his wife and say that she's his sister also. Verse 14, Then Abraham took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. What Abimelech is doing here is he's making restitution. He understands that taking another man's wife into his harem is wrong under any circumstance. And he wants to make it right. Verse 16 says, Then to Sarah, he, Abimelech, said, Behold, I've given your brother. I mean, it's just this sharp, stinking rebuke, isn't it? Man, it's your brother. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. It's interesting that we see Abraham accepting uh, these gifts. Because remember in, in Genesis chapter 14, he refused gifts from a pagan king. He didn't want anybody to think that a pagan king made him rich. But because of Abraham's compromise, now it's hard to take that moral high ground again. You know, I've looked at the different translations, uh, the Bibles, how they render this verse. And it's, this verse actually isn't really clear to me. Um, but the King James Version says it this way. And unto Sarah, he said, Abimelech, this is the same verse we just read. Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes until all that are with thee 
and with all other, thus she was reproved. So Abimelech seems to be saying, look, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Maybe you guys should go out and buy a veil. Cover up a little bit there, uh, Sarai. Maybe you should buy a veil and cover up so this doesn't happen again. And he rebukes Sarah with that comment. Maybe that's what he's saying. I'm not exactly sure. But it does say that he rebukes her. And the Hebrew there for rebukes means he sets her straight. Sarah was, re, uh, not sets her straight. You could say it sets her straight. Sets her right. Sarah is rebuked and he sets her right is what the literal saying is. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because Sarah, Abraham's wife. This verse gives us the idea that Abraham and Sarah were in this region for some period of time, long enough for Abimelech and maybe some of his counselors, whoever, to discover, wow, you know, nobody's getting pregnant. Nobody's conceiving. Nobody's delivering. You know, so it's during this time that they see that nobody's uh, giving childbirth. Um, while they were there. Now, just in conclusion, what I get out of this chapter is this. There's no doubt about it. Abraham loves God. And in his weaknesses, he fails. Even though Abraham fails, God's love and protection is still upon his life, still upon Sarah's life. Oswald Chambers said, Christian perfection is not the perfection of performance. It's the perfection of relationship. And we need to continue to seek to grow in God's grace, to grow in our knowledge of our Savior. We need to live more wisely and live in a, in a closer relationship with Him, to have a closer walk with Him than we did last week, last year, years ago. We need to be constantly growing in our walk with the Lord. Perfection for us now is when we do fall, man, we immediately turn and run to the Lord and asking Him forgiveness. And we don't need to grovel to ask for forgiveness. We don't need to prove ourselves worthy of His forgiveness because we're never going to be uh, worthy of His forgiveness. We just need to receive and accept that the Lord loves us and He's willing to forgive. He loves us with this everlasting love. I mean, that's true. The Bible says he loves us with this everlasting love. No one has ever loved us the way he loves us. And the Lord has promised to never leave us or to forsake us, you know, because of his great love for us. And we needed to hang on to that promise. You know, I wonder when we get to heaven, I wonder how amazing it will be to see how many things God kept us from, you know, how many foolish decisions he kept us from supernaturally. I wonder how many times he's kept us from sinning against him today. I suspect we'll be surprised beyond measure when we get to heaven and we learn of these things. Ephesians 2, 7, again, one of my favorite verses. Tell you the truth, I like them all. Between Genesis you know, 1-1 one, one in Revelation chapter 21. Man, I love them all. 21? 22? 
Somebody check real quick. <laughs> Got to go to the end of the book. Yeah. Uh, time out. Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> I should know this, right? It's the camera. The camera makes me all like, it's one of my weaknesses. Be that as it may be. They're all my favorite verses, right? I love this verse, Ephesians 2, 7. It says, in the ages to come, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that verse because it says God has been so very good to us. How good has he been to us? Well, it's going to take ages upon ages upon ages for him to explain the goodness, for him to reveal the goodness that he's uh, had towards us. You know, when Tina and I were younger, we had our first child, Ashley. And you guys, you, you know this. You've experienced this. You know, when she was learning to walk, Tina's on one side of the room and, you know, I'm on the other side of the room and I extend my hands out to Ashley. I say, hey, Ashley, come on, come to daddy, walk to daddy. You know, and she takes a step and you remember the excitement? She took a step. She takes a second step and then she falls. You know what? I didn't say to her, you know what? I am so sick and tired of your falling. Why don't you just pack your bags and get out of here? You know, while you're at it, why don't you change your name also? Because, you know, I don't want, any, I don't want to be associated with you. You know, you're a disgrace to me. No loving parent would ever do that. And yet God, you know what? He loves us so much. We never have to be afraid that he would not want to care for us because we've failed, you know? God loves us so much more than we could ever possibly love our children. If he loves and takes care of Abraham and Sarah in their failures, you know what? This story is here to make us confident in the knowledge that he'll take care of us too. He's going to see us through. We don't have to worry about it. What we have to do is cling to him, look to him, walk with him, trust in him, just believe in him. And you know what? He's going to meet us and carry us every step of the way. You know, if you're not a Christian today, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what? You don't have those promises. You don't have that tender relationship with him. In fact, the Bible says that he's angry with the wicked every day. You know, he's not happy with you. He's not pleased with you. The Bible says if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're an enemy of his. And I just want to let you know, you can experience God's love. You know, for me, 41 years ago, somebody just told me, Gary, God loves you. He's not asking you to give up anything. He's asking you to turn to him so he can express his love to you. And I tell you what, it's the message that I needed to hear. I got down on my knees and I just said, Lord, if it's true, would you show me? And I'll give you my life. And he showed me. He showed me. He showed me in his word. He showed me, you know, as I began walking with him and began getting to know him, he just began revealing his love to, uh, that he has for me. He revealed it to me. And you know what? 41 years ago, I've never regretted, almost 42 years now, I've never regretted that decision. You know, if you're not a believer today, you can be forgiven of your sins. 
you can be cleansed from the stain of sin and you can receive God's forgiveness and be adopted into his family as a child and experience his great love. All it takes is just confessing that you've sinned, confessing your need for a savior and asking him to come into your life and give you the power to live for him. You can tell him that you believe Christ died on the cross and he was buried and three days later he was re uh, resurrected. And, and it's through that resurrection that we know that his sacrifice was an acceptable gift of God. God didn't have to raise him from the dead, but because God did raise him from the dead, we have the confidence that his sacrifice was acceptable to cleanse me of my sin. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this study. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for your clarity too, that Lord, if we're engaged in sin, you know, it's wrong in your eyes. It doesn't matter if it's adultery or if it's half-truths. It's wrong in your eyes and, and you, you don't condone it. You don't accept it. You're not going to overlook it. There's a consequence. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that are watching now, Lord, that you would do an eternal work in us, Lord. Whatever it is you want to do, Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to receive, Lord. For those maybe that don't know you, Lord, that, are, that just want to turn their life over to you, I pray as they pray, Lord, I thank you, Lord, actually, that your promise to them is that you'll meet them and you'll forgive them and you'll cleanse them as they repent from their sins and turn to you. Give them the courage to do that now, Lord. God, I just praise you, Lord, so much for your goodness and grace towards each one of us individually and your goodness and grace on us as a church, Lord. I just pray that you would meet us and just bless Calvary Chapel of Truckee. Lord, all the things that you want to accomplish through us in this town, Lord, would you lead us into those works, into those ministries through your um, spirit, Lord, lead us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.